Good morning and welcome to Life Connection, a ministry of First Baptist Church of Joplin. We're glad that you're taking the time to join us this morning as Pastor Jamie shares an uplifting message with us from God's Word. This sermon was recorded from our 1030 service at our downtown location at 633 South Pearl in Joplin, Missouri. It's a joy to know that we worship a God who is able to rescue marriages and relationships. It's a joy to worship a God who we know uh, can rescue us from the pit of despair as we learned several weeks ago. It's a joy to know that we can worship a God whose arm is not shortened nor his ear heavy that it cannot hear, that he is able to reach down into the messes we make. He is able to reach down into our disasters. He is able and eager to reach down into the pit of sin that we find ourselves in so often and to reach down and to pull us out of Satan's grasp. We, we worship a God, we glory in a God who delights in bringing his children out from the pits and out from the danger and out from the destruction that the enemy has for us. This morning we look at a man who found himself in a very bad place. He found himself in a very bad place at a very bad time. The man's name is Lot. The place that he finds himself in is a town called Sodom. And God, without Lot being aware of this, God has determined that the wickedness of Sodom was so great that it was, it was going to be destroyed. He was going to destroy it. God himself was going to destroy the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah for their wickedness. And God, planning on destroying Sodom and Gomorrah for their wickedness, had made these plans without Lot ever being aware of them. Lot had no idea that destruction was coming. He was living in Sodom. And what I'm about to read to you is the climactic moment. This is the huge action scene of the extraction of Lot. This is the huge action scene where God literally rescues Lot from the town of Sodom. Let me read to you in chapter 19, verse 12. It says, Then the men said to Lot, Have you anyone else here? Son-in-law, your sons, your daughters? And whomever you have in this city, take them out of this place. For we will destroy this place, because the outcry against them has grown great before the face of the Lord, and the Lord has sent us to destroy it. So Lot went out and spoke to his sons-in-law, who had married his daughters. And he said to them, Get up, get out of this place. For the Lord will destroy this city. But to his sons-in-law, he seemed to be joking. But when the morning dawned, the angels urged Lot to hurry, saying, Arise, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, lest you be consumed in the punishment of the city. And while he lingered, the men took hold of his hand, his wife's hand, and the hands of his two daughters, the Lord being merciful to him, and they brought him out and set him outside the city. They took him by the hand and set him outside the city. There it is. There's the scene. 
these two men show up in, at Lot's residence and, and they tell him, we've got to get you out of here. We've got to get you, you've got to get out of this city because it's going to be destroyed. Uh, Lot doesn't seem to be in any real big hurry, but eventually they grab him by the hand, they grab his wife by the hand, they grab his children by the hand, and they lead them out of the city of Sodom. After they get out of the city of Sodom, then the fire and brimstone begins to rain down on that city. Lot's wife was instructed by the angels to not turn around, but to continue running away from the city. And yet Lot's wife disobeyed and turned back to view the city, and she immediately was turned into a pillar of salt. Lot was rescued. Lot's daughters were rescued. But Lot lost his wife in the destruction of Sodom. Who is Lot? If he's the star of our show uh, for, the, for the morning, if he's the, the main actor in this story, then we need to know a little bit about him. The Bible tells us that he is Abraham's nephew. Abraham, of course, is the father of the faithful. Abraham is the father of many nations. Uh, Abraham is the one in whom God had promised uh, he would raise up uh, Jesus through Abraham. Many great covenants and promises were given to Abraham. Abraham is the father of the Israelites. Abraham had left his country and followed God's command as God would show him this land that he was going to give them, the promised land. And Lot took with him his nephew. Lot, or Abraham took with him his nephew, Lot. So Abraham, Lot, and Sarah took off on their journey following God as God would lead. But in Genesis 13, it tells us that their flocks and herds had gotten so large, Abraham and Lot's, that they had to separate. They could no longer go together. So in chapter 13, it says that Lot or Abraham allowed Lot to choose which way they were going to go. So Lot made a decision. We'll cover that in just a moment. But in chapter 13, it begins telling us that Lot was no longer with Abraham. He was no longer living under his roof. He was no longer in close proximity to Abraham. He was going off in his own direction, in his own way. So Lot, the nephew of Abraham, finds himself out in the real world, the big world, making his own decisions. Now, if we need to know who Lot is, because he's rescued, we need to know what Sodom and Gomorrah are, and why he was rescued from them. The Bible tells us in Genesis 13, 13 that Sodom and Gomorrah were exceedingly wicked. Now what that means is their wickedness was multiplying. They were abounding in wickedness and unrighteousness. Their sin was growing more and more and more. They were known, the Bible tells us in Genesis 19, 5, that they were given over to homosexuality. So the inhabitants of Sodom and Gomorrah were given over to homosexuality. And that this continued to grow and abound. Isaiah chapter 3 verse 9 says that they openly acted out their sin. They openly flaunted it. They were not embarrassed or ashamed over sin, but rather they were acting it out and parading it. The Bible tells us in Jeremiah chapter 23 verse 14, that the people of Sodom and Gomorrah refused to repent. They refused to recognize that their actions were sin. 
They refuse to, to turn away from their sin. They refuse to be reconciled to God. So they were abounding in sin. They were not ashamed of sin. They were not repenting of sin. And in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 6, the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah is used as an example of God's righteous judgment. Jesus, in Luke chapter 17, verse 28 to 32, used the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah as a warning for the end times. Lot found himself, this nephew of Abraham, found himself in a very bad place. He found himself in the wrong place at the wrong time. Now, as we've talked about, in order for someone to truly be rescued, there, have to, there has to be three ingredients. And the first ingredient is this. Before you can be rescued, you have to have harm. You have to be in harm's way. When, you are, when you're driving down the road and you see, you've heard me use this example, you drive down the road and you see the house is on fire. And you go to the house and you're screaming and you hear people inside screaming. You know that there are people who are in harm's way. And because there's harm and there are people that are in harm's way, you know that if you're going to go in there, you're, you're going in there to rescue them. You're going to get them out because they're in a bad situation. Kevin and Stephanie were in a bad situation. Their marriage was in a very bad situation. There were so many things that were crumbling in that relationship. Their, their relationship to each other was crumbling. Their relationship to their children was being hindered. Their relationship from child to child was being hurt. There were so many things that were deteriorating in that relationship and it was causing emotional harm. It was causing physical harm. It was causing spiritual harm all in that marriage before God stepped in and did an awesome work before God stepped in and truly rescued that family. And Lot finds himself in a place that's about to be destroyed, and he is totally oblivious to the fact that God is going to destroy it. He finds himself in a bad place and doesn't even realize it's a bad place. How many of you have ever been there before? You were in a bad place, and you had no idea that it was a really bad place. You were in a bad position and you didn't see it coming. Lot found himself in a very bad place. This bad place was going to experience bad things. Lot truly gets saved by the skin of his teeth. This bad place that was about to experience bad things did bad things to Lot. The Bible tells us in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 7 and 8, that Lot was tormented and oppressed. That his soul was tormented and, and oppressed over the things that he had seen and heard in Sodom. That while he was there in that place, in the beginning he was troubled over what he saw and what he heard. But here's the interesting thing. Last week when we looked at Peter getting out of the boat 
and walking to Jesus on the water. When he saw the wind boisterous, he began to sink and cried out immediately, Lord, save me. He cried out, Lord, save me, because he realized the dire situation that he was in. He was the one that realized, I'm going down under the water. I'm in the middle of the sea, and I'm in the middle of a storm, and I'm outside of the boat, and I'm going down. I'm starting to sink. So he cries out because he understood the bad situation that he was in. However, however, Lot does not appear to recognize that he's in such a bad situation. You may have heard in Kevin's testimony this morning, he said that it was a bad thing, that the, that the relationship was in a bad way, and he hadn't realized it or hadn't really thought about it or hadn't given it much attention for some time. Oftentimes we can find ourselves in a bad situation and in need of rescue, and we hadn't even given it much thought to how bad our situation how quickly our situation had eroded around us. I want, to, I want to take you on just a quick little journey. Because Lot's relationship to this very bad place did not happen immediately. In fact, in Genesis chapter 13, verse 10 and 11, I, I, I referenced this earlier, when Abraham and Lot are splitting up, Abraham gives Lot the choice to choose where he wants to go. And the Bible says in Genesis chapter 13, verse 10 and 11, that Lot lifted up his eyes and he saw the plains, how they were well watered, how they were beautiful, how they looked like the garden of God, the Scripture says. From all accounts, from everything that your eye would see from that distance, it looked like a beautiful place. It looked like a place that was well watered. It looked like a place that was able to meet every one of the needs that a person could have. So he looks at this place that's well watered. He looks at this place that has great supply, it looks like, uh, to meet his needs. And he says, yep, that's where I'm going to go. So in, in Genesis chapter 13, verse 10 and 11, he lifts up his eyes and he looks towards Sodom. He sees it with his eyes. In verse 12, when he leaves Abraham, in chapter 13, verse 12, after he sees it with his eyes, the Bible says he pitched his tent even as far as Sodom. So he doesn't just see the town, but now he starts moving towards it. He starts going closer and closer. Remember, he's in a tent. He's a traveler. He's a pilgrim. He's journeying to a new land. And he looks up. Says, that looks pretty. I think I'll go over there. And he starts journeying, inching incrementally, ever so closer to Sodom. In chapter 14, he lived in Sodom. In the city limits, he's now no longer getting as near to Sodom, but he actually lives in Sodom by chapter 14. He's no longer in a tent, but he's in a house. In chapter 14, the Bible tells us that a king comes and invades Sodom and Gomorrah. He defeats Sodom and Gomorrah. And he takes Lot away as a prisoner of war. 
In chapter 14, Lot is taken as a prisoner of war out of Sodom. Abraham, his uncle, hears of this, hears that his nephew Lot has been taken hostage, and Abraham himself puts together a team of men, over 300 of his own servants, and they go and fight the kings and they get Lot back. But rather than Lot... Rather than him recognizing that the place that he was in was bad. Rather than recognizing that he should not vex his soul any longer in that place. Recognizing the unrighteousness that was going on in there. Rather than leaving that place, the Bible tells us that he went right back to living there. In chapter 19, we find him once again in a house because he invites the two angels into his house. And in chapter 19, verse 1, when the angels come to the city to get Lot out, they find him at the city gate. Let me tell you something. The city gate means this. It doesn't mean, it's not so much about his location. City gate does not describe so much the location, but his position. You see, it was the city gates where business was done. It was the city gates that that's where the city leaders would meet and conduct business and all of the affairs for the city. So what it's telling me is this, is that Lot was not just at the city gates, but Lot had become what we would consider to be a city councilman in the city of Lot. He had been risen, he had risen to a place of power or authority in the city of Sodom. So, how do we put this all back together? This man, who lifted up his eyes and saw the city of Sodom, and how it looked so good, and started gradually moving closer and closer and closer to it. Before long, he found himself living in it. Then he got then he got taken as a prisoner of war, was released, and rather than leaving, learning his lesson, he comes back to Sodom, builds a house, lives in a house, and becomes a figure of authority. I've got to pause here for just one minute. Because Sodom in its sinful activity represents much more than simply a city that is given over to sin. Sodom itself represents sin. The city of Sodom itself represents the very sin nature. And oftentimes, if you think about it, Lot's relationship to Sodom is so incredibly similar to our relationship to sin, is that Lot looked up and first saw it. And after he saw it, he began moving closer to it. And then he began living in it, and before long he was ruling in it. He had risen up and had a power and authority in that sinful city. Oftentimes in our life, we glance at sin. We dabble in sin. 
And before long, the dabbling, the looking, the glancing, then becomes a journey that we're moving closer and closer and closer. We're getting more involved with that sin. We're starting to become more active in that sin. And, and, and before long, we're, we're living in that sin. It is a part of our life. It's habitual. It has now become a part of us. And then we actually build our life on it. We can become we can get to the place where we become known for our sin. And you know what? It all started with a look. If you recall in the book of Genesis, when Satan in the form of a serpent tempted Eve, it says that when she saw that the fruit was good, one of the first tactics that we find of the enemy is that he enticed with what she saw. David, a man after God's own heart, did some very awful things, committed adultery and murder. And it all started with what he saw. I believe Jesus was right when he said that the window, the, eye, the eyes are the window to the soul. Not in that what we see, that not, not in that you can look into my eyes and see into my soul, but rather what I see what I let come through my eyes affects my soul. Lot, a son of a, a nephew of a very good man, gradually got closer to Sodom. Now here's a question for you. If Lot was gradually getting closer to this city that was known for its wickedness. How then does Peter call him righteous, or a righteous soul, or a just soul? And speak about how his righteous soul was vexed, or troubled, or oppressed by the things that he saw and heard. And that's pretty easy. It's really easy for us to figure out, actually. How many of you, at moments in your life when you were walking with the Lord, your walk with Christ felt like it was step for step? You were honoring Him, your personal worship time with Him was close and intimate. You felt like things were going great. And then, as the custom is, we are tempted with sin constantly. We are tempted to yield to sin. And you may remember, there may have been something that you looked at on, on your computer screen or something you saw on television, or maybe uh, for some of you it was bitterness that was rising up in your heart or envy. And you might remember when that first happened and you first allowed that envy or bitterness or hatred to really take hold and you, you allowed yourself to revel in it for a moment. Or you may remember, men, when you saw that thing on the computer screen that you knew you shouldn't have seen. Or you saw that thing on TV that you knew you shouldn't have seen. You might remember that that moment when you saw it, it crashed into your spirit and you realized, man, that doesn't feel right. I shouldn't be doing this. You felt conviction. You may have even felt guilty. You may have felt sorry. You were troubled and oppressed. At that initial impact, that initial mashing together of that sin and our our sensitive soul, when they came together and we realized the wrong that we did, initially we feel sorry, regretful, 
remorseful, convicted, guilty. But what happens men? What happens women? What happens husbands and wives if we don't deal with that sin right then? What happens if we reveling or, or, or thinking and allowing that, that envy or that greed or that lust to really take control and we start, we start allowing it to happen more? We start yielding to that temptation more. We start giving ourselves over to lust or envy or greed. What happens when we start moving closer and closer to sin? Before long it becomes easier and the vexing of our soul becomes less and less. Our heart becomes more hardened and calloused. And we get to the place or we are no longer vexed over the wrong that we are doing because we have shut our ears, we have hardened our hearts, we have calloused our souls. Friends, I believe that Peter was right. I believe that Lot was a righteous soul who had his righteous soul vexed. But I have to ask you this. If Lot was truly vexed, by the way, there are some activities that Lot does in chapter 19 when the men are coming to beat down his door. There are some things that Lot does in this story I don't have time to go into. There are some things that he does in that story that, 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 that disgust me. There are some things that happen, maybe not as a direct result of something that Lot had done, but there are some things that happen to Lot after he gets out of Sodom that are really disgusting. So we have to ask ourselves the question, if Lot was truly vexed over the city of Sodom and it was tormenting him and oppressing him so, don't you think that when the angel said go, he would have been gone? Don't you think that there would have been no need that if he was truly troubled and vexed over Sodom of living there and it was oppressing him and tormenting him, don't you think that when those two men came it would be a relief and he would be so quick to leave? Certainly, if he was truly vexed, they would not have had to urge him in verse 15 to hurry. Certainly, if he was truly vexed and tormented in verse 16, they would not have had to have used the word lingered. They're describing that he was never in a hurry to get out of there. I believe that Lot's soul was vexed in the beginning, but the more he lived there, the more comfortable he became with living there. The same is true with us. We may be vexed, oppressed, guilty, conscience, upset, convicted, over our initial impact with sin, our initial relationship, but the longer we practice it, before long we become very accustomed to it. We begin to live very comfortably with a life of sin. I told you that there have to be three things in order to be rescued. First is harm. Lot was in harm's way. This city was going to be destroyed, and he was in that city. He got into that city because of a gradual relationship with it to the point that he didn't even want to leave. But then it leads us to the second ingredient that one must have in order to be rescued. 
and its helplessness. You have to be able to get to the point where you can't help yourself because if you can't help yourself, then it's not a rescue. Donna was rescued out of utter despair because she couldn't get out of it herself. God had to do this work. God had to give her the peace and strength to go through what she was going through and what she is going through. Kevin and Stephanie had gotten to the place where their pastor couldn't help. They had gotten to the place where they were not going to help each other. They got into a place where there was no one that could help but God himself, and he did. Peter was in a place where the only where he couldn't he couldn't get out he couldn't swim he was in dire situation, and Lot was in a position where he was helpless. But you see, here's the interesting part. Here's the interesting thought in regards to Lot is that unlike Peter, who recognized his situation and realized I can't do it, I've got to have help. Lot was rescued not because. He couldn't help himself. Please hear what I'm saying. Lot was rescued not because he couldn't help himself. But because it appears he wouldn't. It wasn't that he couldn't actually stop. It wasn't that he couldn't actually bring himself to the place where he could walk out of the city with his family. It appears, according to the Scriptures, because he lingered and tarried, that he was not going to go. Not going to go. You see, he knew the messengers were from God. When he first saw them, he bowed his face to the earth to give them honor. Recognizing those messengers. He believed the messenger, therefore we have to believe he believed the message. Folks, if I walked out on this pulpit, on this stage this morning and told you that this church was on fire, you needed to get out as soon as possible, I would think that there would be something wrong with you or me if you stayed there would be something wrong with you if you didn't believe that the, the, the church was on fire when I said it. Or there would be something wrong with me because you wouldn't believe that what I was telling you was the truth. We don't have any record that, Abra, that Lot doubted those two messengers. Wasn't that he couldn't go. It appears that he wouldn't go. Oftentimes in our life, it's some of the times we need rescued from sin. It's not that we can't stop doing it. Oftentimes it's that we won't stop doing it. Now we can't save ourselves. Nobody can make ourselves right with God. That's done only through the work of Jesus Christ. He's the one who lived and died and was resurrected for us. He's the one who has paid our penalty. We can't pay our sin debt. Jesus did. Jesus is the only one that can save us. But as saved believers... He gives us the power and the ability to overcome our sin. He gave us, we see the harm, and we see the helplessness. Abraham or Lot keeps getting closer and closer to Sodom. Apparently he doesn't want to leave. Could leave, but doesn't want to. And it brings us to the third and final part of this this. Uh, this this sermon, this message this morning. And the third ingredient is this. There's always a hero. You have to have harm. 
You have to be in a place of helplessness, and there has to be a hero. Who's the hero here? Yes. Yes. I would agree with you. The hero is God. You see, God is the one who ultimately sent those messengers down to get Lot out of there. And even though God is always the hero in every one of these stories, God is the one who reaches down. God is the one who brought Donna through her turmoil. God is the one who brought the best to a place of redemption and reconciliation. God is the one who brought Peter out of the water. God is the one who ultimately brought, stayed the hand of judgment long enough to get Lot and his family out. Even though he's the hero... I have to say that there's another hero. Now, not a co-hero. These men, these are not on the same level. God is the ultimate hero. But there's someone else in the story that has to be spoken of. There's someone in this story that has to be recognized for what they did. You see, his name is Abraham. The same Abraham who went when he heard that Lot had been taken as a prisoner of war, went and got his men together and fought the kings, defeated them and brought Lot out of their clutches. That same Abraham in chapter 18. Verse 17, the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I am doing? Shall I hide from Abraham what I am doing? Verse 20, And the Lord said, Because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great, and because their sin is very grave, I will go down now. Abraham knows, has heard God say, I'm going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. Abraham has overheard this conversation that God is saying, I am going to destroy the city. And immediately, if we could put ourselves in that place, here is Abraham who loves his nephew so much, who demonstrated it by previously rescuing him from a prisoner of war camp, and now this same Abraham hears God say, I'm going to destroy the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. What do you think Abraham's first thought was? God? My nephew lives there. I would imagine that when Abraham heard God say, I'm going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah, immediately Abraham connected. That's where Lot lives. That means that Lot is in a bad place that is going to experience some very bad things. Immediately, he realized that Lot was going to be destroyed. In chapter 18 of Genesis... Chronicles a man pleading his case before God, bargaining with God. God, if there are 50 righteous people in Sodom, will you spare the judgment? And God says that there are not 50. 
Abraham says, God, if there are 45, well, there's not. Is there, if there's 30, well, there's not. If there's 20, well, there's not. If there's 10, God, would you not destroy the city? And the two messengers leave Abraham and they go to the city of Sodom and Gomorrah. And they rescue Lot. God is the hero. But right below him is a man who loved his nephew and knew that he was in danger and pleaded with God on behalf of his nephew. Some of you have heard me say, that we often say that we need to work on our prayer life. You've heard me talk about the importance of having a strong prayer life. You've heard me speak about the importance of having a, a good prayer life, an effective prayer life. You've heard me speak about the power and importance of intercessory prayer or praying for other people. But I hope that we know That it's not just about praying. Because I believe that we are truly going to pray for what we care about. We are going to pray about what we care about. And I believe that oftentimes in our heart, care exists before prayer does. If we pray and don't care about what we're praying about, then we're not praying right. Care has to exist before prayer does. Care has to be an essential ingredient to the effectiveness of our prayers. So maybe for us, maybe for us this morning, we look at our lives and we say, God, my prayer life is pathetic. God, I can't remember the last time I, I genuinely prayed for somebody else or someone else that was going through a destructive moment. I can't remember the last time, God, I prayed for a foreign missionary. God, I can't remember the last time I prayed for someone's soul. I can't remember, God, maybe, the last time I prayed for a hurting, failing marriage. Friend, can I tell you something? If that's you this morning, it's not about praying more. It's all about caring more. Abraham pleaded with God for the souls of, of Sodom and Gomorrah because he cared for them. Because he cared for his nephew, Lot. Harm, he was going to get destroyed. Helplessness, it wasn't that he couldn't do it, it was that he wouldn't do it. He began, he became so comfortable in Sodom, that he didn't appear to want to leave. And who was the hero? God. But there was a man that was there praying for Abraham. In our life, in our life right now, who are we praying for? Are we praying for anybody? Do we find ourselves in this story being more 
like Lot, wrapped up and tangled up in sin, in the lifestyle of sin, living in sin. Man, you may look back on your life and say, God, I remember. I remember when it used to bother me greatly because of what I was doing. I'm doing things now that I never would have done before, never felt comfortable doing before. You know what? Are you willing today to say, God, I'm not playing around anymore? God, no more games. I'm getting right with you. God, I recognize that this is... If you're a believer this morning, if you're a child of God, if you've been born again, you know what? You, your soul will not be destroyed, but your life might. That sin that you're involved in, that you're, that you're a part of, it may not destroy, it won't destroy your soul if you're a child of God, but it can destroy your life. It can destroy your marriage. It can destroy your testimony. It can destroy your legacy. Sin always destroys. The Bible is more than a book of promises. The Bible chronicles God's relentless pursuit. Relentless pursuit to rescue His people from harm. To rescue His people from sin and the effects of sin. And today, would you be willing to say, God, I'm in that place. You might as well take Lot's name out and put my name right there. That's me. And God, I'm not playing around anymore. Today, I'm rededicating my life. God, today, I'm coming to the place where I'm repenting. True brokenness before God is what I'm doing, God. I'm doing that this morning. I'm laying it out before you. Those of you that are here, who are you praying for? Because if we believe in the power of prayer, then we ought to be a people who pray without ceasing. It's not that there's a shortage of needs. It's that there are people who don't care. We often don't care about those needs. We hope that this broadcast has been a blessing to you. If you're without a church home, we'd love for you to drop in and visit one of our many weekly services. We offer ministries for every age. For more information regarding the church and the ministries we offer, visit us on the web at fbcjoplin.org. For prayer requests or to receive a free, unedited copy of this sermon, please call the church office at area code 417-624-4585. And thank you for being a part of Life Connection.